welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Generations podcast. I'm your co-host, Aaron McGowan, joined by my other two co-hosts, Alex and Matthew. Say hey, Matthew, what's up? This guy? Thank you. Thank you. Alex, I, I've turn? been spending all the time with a little baby, my niece. It's almost Thanksgiving. I'm bringing out all the dad jokes, so that that's what you're getting today. I love it. I love it. Alex, you? How's it? What's up? Oh, hey, everyone. You know, having a having a, a long day today before Thanksgiving. Had to get a whole bunch of food and alcohol and get my new phone. So I haven't had access to the world for four hours. But we're here now and we're going to talk about Star Wars because who cares about the world? It, there you go. Amen. Go. Never were truer words <laughs> spoken. So, yes, the three of us, as always, up to our bullshit. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, if you're interested in a little bit more bullshit from us, we do have a membership program you guys can join. It's $5 a month, or if you want to do a full year, it's $55. But you get bonus little mini-sodes where we're going to be t- going through the book from a certain point of view, which is a retelling of the movie A New Hope from basically side characters' point of views. So, yeah, we're going through chapter by chapter. After each episode, you also get ad-free content. And you get to support us, because... As you can tell, we're kind of a mess, so any little help can help, you know? (laughs) I'll take it. Anything will help. Um, Yeah, so today we are... I'll just quickly add, um, if you're just a Star Wars fan, that's totally cool, but if you're also a fan of the other Ethical Panda podcast, Superhero Ethics, you get all the same stuff for it, too. It's one membership program for both podcasts. And with that, I am done, and I'm handing it back over to Aaron, because I don't have to do any work today. Great addition. Thank you, Matthew. Um, So yeah, today we're continuing our coverage of the Star Wars movies, the live action films, all nine of them, in release order, not chronological, because we're not crazy people. This week we're talking about The Empire Strikes Back. Going into it, Alex, what were you thinking? Well, you know, from when I was younger, I always found The Empire to be one of the more complete movies, better than A New Hope, uh, one of my all-time favorites. I believe I ranked it in the top three in my ranking list. Um, So it's always a treat when I get to watch it. I've also, I watch this movie probably once every two months. It's just just so good. Um, But when I I went into it this time around, I, I really just wanted to like, I wanted to kind of let go of all my preconceptions of how much I liked it and just kind of look at it with a more critical eye. Um, and even by doing that, I really could not find very much wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just feels like such a, you know, a perfect <clears throat> sequel. Like, you know, so often sequels fall flat on their faces, especially when you have such a triumphant movie like Star Wars. And somehow they made a better movie the second time around, which is mind-blowing to me. But, well, you know, I don't know. I, I think that... We'll get into the we'll get into the, the nitty gritty here in a minute, but I'm, I'm curious uh, what our our resident original trilogy <laughs> baby thinks about it. How does it feel getting yeah, called a baby, of, Matthew? Uh, you know, I just spent a lot of time with one, which made me feel very old. So I'm kind of enjoying it. I I even got carded yesterday, which is you wow. know really a nice wow. feeling. I think it's by law they have to do it, but I'm going to take it as a they thought I was in my it's a 20s. compliment. Exactly. So Sounds anyway, like I mom. I was thinking about it a lot more, especially after our ranking episode, and I think one of the things that I was realizing is that part of why I I don't think of this movie on its own very often is, to me, it's the middle part of a three-part story. You know, a lot of, like, I watch Star Wars A New Hope a lot by itself, but most of the time if I watch Empire, it's because I'm watching all three in a row. And 
you know, when you think of a good story, often like the beginning and the end are the parts that you most remember, but the middle parts, like they have to get you from point A to point C. And, and I've always thought of Empire as being like very good for that, but, but not necessarily my favorite because it isn't, you know, the big flashy beginning or the big flashy end. As I really kind of went into it with a, like, let me just look at this movie on its own, kind of like not thinking of it as the middle part, but just what does it do as a movie? It's as a like two and a half hour viewing experience. For me, um, I haven't seen this movie in quite a while, actually. And so I didn't remember the entire plot. I, for some reason, didn't think Bespin was in this movie. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me why. (laughs) I just am so disconnected, apparently. Anyways, but um, yeah, I was just kind of excited to watch it. And I texted my dad the day before. I was like, hey, do you want to watch it with me? He didn't text me back. Um, so then I asked him, I was like, did you want to watch that? And he was like, I didn't think I had to respond. It's always a yes. So we watched it together <laughs> and that man. was fun. But, um, real quick before we get into it more, I'm assuming you've seen this movie because it's been out for a long time. And if you're listening, you're a fan, but quick recap, IMDB's version. It says after the rebels are overpowered by the empire, Luke Skywalker begins his Jedi training with Yoda while his friends are pursued across the galaxy by Darth Vader and bounty hunter Boba Fett and friends. I added and friends, but it's because I think Bosk and the other ones are important, too. Did you also add Rebs instead of Rebels? Rebs. So I, I, I just want to say, let's officially go into a spoiler warning. Yep. Spoiler set, special. Three, two, one. Vader is Luke's father. Yep. <laughs> That's the spoiler of the century. so yeah let's see matthew what did you notice this rewatch that you haven't necessarily noticed before so i think i was able to better put my finger on why i don't see this movie quite as highly as other people do and 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 to be very clear like it is in my top five and i think the top like you know if my bottom are kind of like a two out of ten a four out of ten a six out of ten for me those top five are like 9.999 9.999 versus 9.994. You know, it's it's very... I'm not saying I think it's bad in any way. <clears throat> it's just a tiny smidge below some of the others. But I think it's because... I think in some ways I was too young for this movie. Like, there's a lot of parts of this movie that are... And maybe I think what part of why people like it so much is I think that it deals with some of the more adult aspects in ways that I think are easy to miss. You know? And I like looking at it today... All of the stuff about Leia and Han and the subtleties of the romance went completely over my head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember being like, wait, she kept saying, like, this is not what she wants. Why is she kissing him? Why does she say she loves him? Um, and, and we can talk about the sort of ethics of that romance and how it maybe not aged the best. But still, like, the like her conflicted feelings, totally over my head. All the stuff about the subtlety of Darth Vader's performance, which in many ways I think James Earl Jones is like one of the... I think this is far and away his best voice acting. Like, he's amazing in all the movies, but this one, just the the subtlety of what Vader is going through and how he's trying to play this delicate dance of his alliance to the Emperor and some of that stuff. Like, I just think there was just so much of this movie that just went right over my head when I was a kid, when I was first watching it at age, like, four or five. And, you know, I think it is still, like, it just doesn't have that nostalgia feel for me, but it is still, I think, you know... In terms of it being just the best technically made, yeah, I think it is just a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Great writing, great dialogue, great acting, great directing, just overall great. Absolutely. Mic drop. Thank you. <laughs> Alex, what were 
things that stood out to you? Yeah, I have a few things. Um, one, and I mentioned this very briefly, but said I would ex- in the last episode, but said I would expand upon it this time. So I'm going to expand Let's upon go. it. Um, I feel like Mark Hamill's acting really reached a new level in this movie, uh, mm-hmm. specifically um, during the scenes with Yoda. I mean, you know, it's it's one human actor with a puppet. Like Frank Oz is there, but he's underneath the the floor. Um, and he, you have R2, which I, I highly doubt that uh, Kenny Baker was sitting in there for hours on end just to <laughs> stand there and beep around. So it, Mark Hamill had to basically act with no other humans. And from what I read um, on Wikipedia and beyond, it, it was weeks of that where it was just him on the call sheet. And so I really think that his acting takes off. And because Luke is the main character uh, or one of the two main characters in, in this, one of the few main characters in this movie, um, I feel like it really just enhances the overall experience a lot more. Also, uh, a few other things I didn't notice. Uh, One's kind of cool, I think. One's me being nitpicky, I think. Um, One is that, did you ever notice that when the bounty hunters are all lined up on the Star Destroyer, uh, and Vader like stops at at, at, uh, Boba Fett, and he's like, you know, no disintegrations. I never never gave any thought to that. I was like, oh, you know, that's just him being silly. That's a fun line. Sorry. Um, but what I'm realizing more and more is the the theory behind like, did Boba is the is Boba the one that flew on down to Tatooine and torched Ben and um Amperu and Uncle Ben, Uncle Owen? God, uh-huh. is Boba Fett the one that came down and torched Amperu and Uncle Owen? See, um, God. okay, I said I said Uncle Ben. And Ben Kenobi, it's in my no, head. I'm sorry, fine. I don't want too much. It's fine. Just move on. But point is, that's a fun little thing I picked up on. Another Wait, can I say something I, that about I, that thing? Yes. So yes. when I heard that, I thought of a distinctly different thing. He said no disintegrations, and I thought about my little Star Wars game and how the Mandalorian has this dope-ass ability to disintegrate people with his Ambin pul- Phase Pulse Blaster. <clears throat> Ambin Phase Pulse mm. Blaster. And so I was like, maybe it's because it's like a Mandalorian thing that they like, since Vader made a comment about disintegrations, they decided to, in the future, create like a disintegration gun for Mandalorians and bounty hunters. But I like that it could be taken either way because they also did just incinerate Baru and Owen. (laughs) You you guys have seen the Mandalorian TV show, right? Like there's a still skeleton. They use that gun in the TV show, The Mandalorian. And when it happens, it's complete disintegration. There's no skeleton left behind. Like, I was trying to be I don't nice think there's Alex. any connection. Okay, that's fair. I'm sorry. Okay, but like in episode <laughs> Okay, but in episode four, why would they burn just those two? They didn't burn the Jawas the same way. All I'm saying is that like it's possible. It's a possibility. It is a possibility. Um no, but it's not, I mean but okay. another thing that I, well, I mean, if you want to get into that, I, I think it's cool that like they based they they spun off so much lore over one cool costume design choice in you know nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. Very much um, so. The other thing that I kind of noticed that I that I hadn't really noticed in the past, and this kind of goes also hand in hand with my like what didn't really work for me. Um, but it's it's like, but <laughs> you have always advanced tracking, you know. And the, the Falcon is traveling to Bespin after escaping um, the Exogorth, which is the actual name of that giant worm they were in, um, and the fleet, basically. And then Boba Fett just follows them in Slave 1 at, like, sub-white speeds, and, and they never notice him. And I was kind of like, huh. 
I didn't really give any thought to it. I just kind of was like, oh, okay, you know, he follows them. They, you know, they get to they get the best bit. But the more Star Wars content I consume, the more that just seems excessively unlikely for that to happen. Unless Han is just a boneheaded pilot. Yeah. Which, maybe he is. I mean, but... Um, I also... The last thing I'll say is I also noticed more of the romance this time, just like Matthew did. You know, I, I think I've, I've always just kind of like... Not looked passive. I didn't really care about it when I was younger. I cared about like... Ooh, Hoth, super cool giant snow battle. And um, I really, you know, I, I love the the giant, you know, AT-AT walkers when I was a kid and still as an adult, I liked them. Um, but I also really loved, um, I mean, the battle between between Luke and Vader is, is, is such a step up from the one between Obi-Wan and Vader on the Death Star. Like, it's so much more movement and intensity and the music that John Williams scores is so beautiful mm-hmm. and... I've always focused on that, but this time I did also notice more of, of the romance and the subtleties there that I think actually enhanced the movie even more than I even give it credit for before. So, if anything, I like it even more now. Yeah, I hear that. Aaron, what do you think? Uh, no, it's funny. I noticed the same thing of you guys. Like, one of my first notes is Han and Leia starting out hot. <laughs> like, I never, when I've seen that when I was younger and just paying less attention, like, I didn't see the nuances of, like, the aggressive flirting. And like mm-hmm. paying more attention to the movie this time, I was like, "Oh, I I get it. I do. I get it now. <laughs> like I see it." So yeah, that's something that kind of stood out. Also, there's just a lot of things I noticed this time through um, that I have loved since I was a kid through the Clone Wars. Like probe droids were so cool and scary because of the Clone Wars to me. Mm-hmm. There was medical mm-hmm. droids, and it's like I saw for the first time ever like a medical droid of the same design they have in the Clone Wars, and I was like. It's just so cool to look back and all these things that I grabbed onto as a kid as cool little gimmicks of Star Wars were from the originals. And like, oh, yeah, people who were kids then are going to grab onto those same ideas. Like, it's so awesome. Just we get three seconds of Bosk, the, yeah. the, the, the lizard like yep. um, bounty hunter who both him and his people, the Trandoshans, then go on to be like huge parts of the overall Star Wars universe. Yeah, there's just so much. So many great things introduced in this movie that's just expanded on so much as the lore continues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Canteen episode four and the bunch of bounty hunters in episode five, they just exploded into so many side stories and storylines, which I think is so it's cool. It's so cool. So fun. It's really true. Um, yeah, next. Okay, let's get into our hot takes. Who wants to go first? So here's mine, and I've been thinking about this since I read something uh, like a couple months ago and disagreed with it, and then was like, let, let me see if this is actually true in the movie, and I, I still watch it, and I still hold by this. I think Yoda and Ben were wrong, and Luke was right to go to Bespin, because he does rescue Leia and Chewie and, and the droids and, and Lando, if we kind of care about that. Um, he does, like, get out of the fight with Vader and survives. Um, the biggest problem he has in that fight is that they never told him the truth, which we'll get to more in the third movie. And, yes, Han gets captured, but, you know, that sets other stuff up. Like, I don't... And you can get into all of the kind of time travel nonsense of, like, if he doesn't go, does that mean that the Emperor knows he doesn't go, and so they never torture their friends in the first place? Like, I I, I think that kind of stuff is just nonsense, and I, I hate time travel. Uh, so I'm just going to say, like, once he knows that the like those people are being tortured, I think Yoda and Ben are wrong, and he was right to go. And I, I, I say this mostly not just because I think it's a small plot point here, but to me, it sets up from the very beginning 
the theme that I think we'll talk about so much more in later movies and the prequels and then the postquels and the books and, and the shows that maybe Yoda and Ben weren't always right. Yeah. Alex? I just want to note real quick, Matthew, I, I don't want to like actually disagree with you on this, but I, I don't believe that Luke actually had any impact on Leia, Chewie, and Lando escaping. Like, Lando went, like, on his own. He, like, got, he got Lobot involved and, like, freed Leia and Chewie on his own and 3PO. And then they mm-hmm. escaped without Luke, I'm pretty sure. Like, I mean, you can make the argument that, like, forces were diverted to lure Luke into a trap. Yeah. But, like, from what we see on screen, I feel like Luke's... Luke doesn't actually succeed in doing anything. And they actually have to... Actually, Lando, Leia, and them have to all risk their lives and go back to pick up Luke's torched butt <laughs> off the bottom of the Cloud City ship. or But space, still, Luke, Luke manages to escape. He doesn't turn to the dark side. He doesn't do what everyone is afraid of. And, like, yeah, I don't think that Luke helps much necessarily. But I think all the things that Yoda told him, like, if you go, right. you will destroy everything they have fought and sacrificed for. That simply doesn't happen. <clears throat> I think that's somewhat true. Like, what both of you had said, like, yeah. he doesn't have a huge impact. I think Lando, Leia, and Wookiee <laughs> would have been Chewbacca. fine. I, know. I think they would have been fine, but um, there's definitely an argument to be made for the distraction and the diversion of mm-hmm. well, forces. If I may say one more note mm-hmm. on this, I actually really like this this idea, Matthew. But I, I think that the one thing I would argue that I think might actually prove true in the end is Yoda was so afraid for Luke to go. And for, sure, what he said didn't necessarily happen. But because Luke abandoned his training, I don't think he was actually prepared to like fight and beat the Emperor or or Vader. I mean, he loses in in Jedi. He loses in Empire, too. He beats Vader, but then he loses to the Emperor in Jedi because he wasn't fully trained by Yoda. And if it wasn't for, spoiler alert, I mean, if it wasn't for Vader turning back to the light side and, and intervening, Luke would be dead. And the Death Star, you know, I mean, the Death Star may or may not have gotten blown up in the end. I mean, but Luke would be dead. And so as far as we knew at that point, I know we know now that, like, you know, Ahsoka's out there and Grogu's out there and all these other Jedi are running around. But at that point, if, if from what we knew in the canon timeline, the Jedi would have just been extinct because Luke didn't stay and train longer with Yoda. So, like, I totally see your point, Matthew, and I agree that, like, what mm-hmm. Yoda said about, like, everything they felt, you know, you would turn to the dark side, everything they fought for to be for nothing. That's all, you're right, that was all wrong. But I just, I don't know, there's something about, like, the I, fact that Luke actually couldn't win without Anakin's help in the end. Well, the, the, but remember, and, and this I think is more a discussion to have during Jedi when we talk about that movie, but right. Luke didn't go there to defeat the Emperor. He went there specifically to turn Anakin back, which is what happened. And Do you think that... Sorry, to, go ahead. And, and to me, I like, and again, I think we'll get into this more in the movies, but part of why I think this is important, and I do think Lucas put this in somewhat intentionally is I think one of the ideas that is built out more in Jedi, but then really explored, I think, in the postquels especially, but also some of the prequels and a lot of the novels, is that part of why Obi-Wan tried everything he could to stop Anakin from turning to the dark side and then turning him back, and he failed. And I think on some level, both for Yoda and Obi-Wan... They have to believe that trying to turn Anakin back is impossible because or else they have to ask, why did they fail at it? 
You know, and again, that that comes in right. more in Return of the Jedi, and we can get to it then. But I think yeah, that we, we can talk about it more. I, I, it's just that's just curious to me. Yeah. Um, my hot take is actually also a little bit surrounding Yoda. Um, it's that <laughs> I think that Yoda's whole like act of being a a senile old man fool yeah. was kind of unnecessary. <laughs> like, I get that he was like, you know. I need to like, you know, kind of test Luke under the table to see if he's like worth my time. But Luke kind of just failed that anyway, got mad. And then Yoda was like, it took Yoda all of three seconds to be convinced by Ben. Ben's like, I was strong headed too. I was whatever. And Yoda's like, hey, all right, you're right. Let's do this. <laughs> like if Yoda had trepidations about Luke that strongly, why would he not make that known at any point in the last 19 years when he like sent Obi-Wan to protect Luke? Luke has been the game plan. The only game plan they really had was Luke and Leia from day one after Anakin turned to the dark side. And Yoda was just like, I'm going to test you again anyway. I'm going to be kind of, and to me, it felt like just like a waste of Luke's time, kind of a silly interjection. Um, Like, I just know the Yoda I know now is so like wise and put together and like so much of that is what we see, except for that one little weird bit where he acts like a crazy frog on ketamine is the, <laughs> is the running meme um and i don't know like i get why he did it in theory but like it, it feels like it'd be different to me if like luke was like this unknown that ben was bringing into the equation but luke has been protected by obi-wan for almost 20 years yoda knows that he's his offspring anakin he knows he's their best chance so why even pretend like you're not gonna train him i don't know it felt silly to me that makes sense i think i don't know I see it as like a, because all your arguments make total sense. I see it as a fun little plot device, you know? Because then it keeps the audience yeah. in the dark for a little bit there too, which is nice. But. Audience is always in the dark in Star Wars. That's a, see, and this is the fun part about hot takes, because here, Alex, I do completely disagree with you. Like, I, <laughs> I, I think for me, it does a couple. First of all, I think, like, what you were talking about, like the Yoda that you know, I, I think you're somewhat reading, you're sort of, saying like that this seems weird because everything that's set up in the prequels doesn't fit it and to me that always has to be the fault of the prequels not this because you know this is what came first um and i i think what i think you are correct in pointing out that there are some ways that what happens here doesn't line up with the way obi-wan and yoda talk at the end of revenge of the sith but again to me that's that's the fault of that movie not this one i i do think though it's i i do think it's very important though especially given what does happen in that movie because Remember, one of the things that is most troubling and that most, in in theory, kind of pushes Anakin towards the dark side is that when he's told he can't be, um, you know, he's not, you know, ready to become a Jedi Master, he becomes this ridiculous, petulant child and and angry about it. Whereas Luke is like, no, 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 let me try and prove you wrong. Like, like to me, I, I think that... I, I will agree with you that Yoda changes his tune very quickly. And I think that's in part just because they didn't want to give us five more minutes of them going back and forth about it. But it is kind of a, like, skipped forward pretty quick. I I think, to me, part of the idea, like, it's incredibly important that you test Luke's patience and that you, you point out, like, he thinks this is all about warfare. The Force is supposed to be about peace and defense. Mm-hmm. He thinks this is all about, like, do it right now, do it right now. No, this is supposed to be about being patient and being calm. And then also, I think it's supposed to be about how do you deal with failure? Like, I, I think I think if you, it, to me, if there is the argument of Yoda changes his mind too fast, it might be because 
he already thinks he's probably going to train this kid. But the for, a the first lesson is being the ketamine frog on as you pointed out, and the second is what happens when I tell this kid no, you know, because that becomes because in some ways like how are you going to deal with failure? How the fact that Luke reacts the way he does and is able actually to come back from having that terrible encounter with Vader, I think is an important part of his training. Um, so I like I hear what you're saying, but it's funny because I was watching it being like this is so brilliant. This is it's subverting That's all so the ideas. It's averting all the ideas that Western audiences also have, but in terms of the kind of like Lucas is drawing so much from samurai movies and that kind of idea, the idea of like, you know, the, the grand wise master on the mountain who pretends not to be is very much a trope. And so to me, I think it's like, if it's anything, it's playing into that trope, but it's doing it quite well. So, so I respond to two things I want to say to that. I think one thing is I think we, we read Luke's response a little differently because I, I feel like when I hear it, Luke immediately, he's like, no, Ben, tell him I'm ready. I'm ready. I can do this. I, I'm not afraid. And like bumps his head. And he's like very like adamant. That like it, it, To me, but it doesn't feel like a, necessarily like a, a calm headed, like, I mean, it does say like, yeah, let me kind of let me prove it. But it also feels a little petulant to me. Like he's like almost about to throw a tantrum. Like Ben, Ben, tell him, Ben, tell can him. Can I say maybe it yeah, feels but Anakin start- impatient? Yeah. Skywalker legacy, impatience. Just great impatience, which is exactly what Yoda was trying um, to test in him. Yeah. I, I guess yeah, it's more I, the way he reacts later, that he does start listening to Yoda, whereas I just think An- Anakin's reaction is just so horrible to the whole thing. Luke also gives up, though, if you remember. Mm-hmm. He gives up on the X-Wing, and Yoda was like, that's why you fail, because you like, you gave up, you weren't willing to like give I, I don't know. So, I mean, I just think that like Luke... Luke's whole training there is one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars, but it also feels like, I don't like like it, it, I mean this is worthy of a debate, but like, like I to me it always felt like you know Luke did kind of give up. He gave into his frustration, his impatience, his anger, his fear. Oh yeah, and was like I can't do this. I'm giving up. And then instead of finishing and working at it, he went off on an impulse to go save his friends. Which I will just note, I think that a big reason Yoda and Ben were so against it is if you recall is Anakin's true downfall was he loved his friends too much. Anakin cared and loved loved his friends. He loved Padme. He loved everyone too much. And because of that, he was willing to go to extreme lengths to do, to save them, to help them. He did, he he did some crazy dark shit when it came to Ahsoka and making sure she was okay. He, you know, he beat up Rush Clovis in the Clone Wars for Padme. He would torture people. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that they, they were, Ben and, and, and Yoda were seeing, just like uncle, you know, uncle Owen says, too much of his father in him. They're seeing those Anakin traits of rushing off. And he yeah. even said that, you know, just like your father, rushing off to the horizon, never being here now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I want to I want to say that I think is a little interesting, Matthew, real quick, is just that it's like I I, I understand your point of view of like this came first. And so like things should real kind quick, of be based off of this. But I yes. Do you guys want to get into more of this when we talk about how it fits into the story? You can finish your thought, but if we have more to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, please. Sorry. All I want to say was that, like, I feel like I look at it, and I think this is what's fun about this podcast, actually, is that I look at it as, I'm not looking at it as, like, the prequel sets up the sequel, the prequel sets up the originals, or the original sets up the prequels. I'm seeing it, I'm trying to look at it as, like, a a holistic, continuous storyline, and we can talk about this more in a minute, um, but I, I do think that, like, when you look at all the media, prequels, Clone Wars, originals, Rebels, everything, 
Yoda presents is this very calm, wise, you know, sure, he cracks little jokes here and there, but that's the only moment we see him go like full crazy ketamine silly man <laughs> who's banging on R2 and fighting him for a little piece of food. Um, and, you know, one can make an argument that he has been in exile by himself for a really long time and so he would go crazy. But it just, I don't know, it just feels out of character to me when you look at holistically Yoda and all the other parts of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at it as that is the original and that's what it should be based off of, sure, totally get your point, Matthew. But I think I do look at it as like a, that is just one portion of this larger puzzle yeah. of Yoda. I feel like, and, yeah, we'll talk about it more. Go ahead. Aaron. I was just going to say, I feel like this is a problem we're just going to keep running into every time we talk about anything is like Star Wars is infinite it's like a infinity sign yeah. you know because it, it all came out differently but yeah it's all at the same time so well and especially because i like i think you know it, once again there's a whole rush of people talking on the internet about ray and oh ray became a jedi like luke is the ultimate mary sue like look how good we never once saw yoda say like use your lightsaber this way and yet he's really good with his lightsaber against Vader. Like, he holds his own. That I, I think, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think there's more we can talk about here. I'll just note, like, what you said about Anakin and why he falls because of his love of his friends. We're going to have fun discussing that when we get to Revenge of the Sith, because I see that very differently. So, Aaron, what is your hot take? Yeah. Um, so, my hot take, I don't know how hot the take is, but it's a hot take in my mind from how it was. the scene was portrayed to me growing up. But, like... I don't have a problem with the Luke Leia kiss. I think it's su- yeah. like incest gross, but they didn't know. And I think it's such a funny, like Leia is such a savage for that. And in the past, I've never really paid attention to Luke, but if you see his face, oh my God, he's like trying, he's so smug and he's like trying not to like enjoy the burn on Han. I don't think he's that pumped mm-hmm. about being kissed. Like probably, yeah, too. But I think so much of him is just enjoying Han's face. And he kind of puts his arms behind his head and smirks. And then Han looks at him and he kind of like pretends he wasn't smiling. It's just, it's a funny little moment that I also kind of stood out to me for the first time. And it really just like solidified that I'm just like, yeah, it, it's a fun little thing in the plot. I, I'm totally with you. Because A, a they didn't know. And so I have no problem with like, yeah, they, they did something later. They'd be like, oh, that was dumb. But I think people make way too much of it. And also, and I think this is something I was noticed. I, I noticed this more once I started to pay more attention to the romance. So this wasn't the first time. Leia doesn't kiss Luke because she has any interest in Luke. Correct. Like, Leia kissing Luke is the biggest sign of, yes, she has a crush on Han, and she hates that he knows it, and she's doing everything she can to be like, no, 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 no. I, I like this guy. I like the sweet farm boy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to, and, and to me, like, in some ways, that makes Luke's whole, like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the guy who gets it. Like, so much more fun, because he's completely wrong. Like, no she's idea. not interested in him. Um, you know? So, yeah. I, I think it's a beautiful scene. I think it's perfect. I think the fact that they later find out their brother and sister is a little weird, but it's not a big deal. And I, you know, I'm totally fine with it. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but I will say that in episode four, it does play off the same thing. In episode four, there was a moment where, like, Han goes, what do you think, kid? You know, princess like her, a guy like me, and Luke goes, no. Yeah. No. Like, that can't work. Because he, like, also kind of, I think, has a little thing for Leia. And so I, I think, like, I get it, like, they don't know at the time. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know. It, to me, it, it's, like, the one thing that kind of annoys it, it annoys me about Obi-Wan, actually. And, like, I love Obi-Wan, but, like, man, you could have told him or yeah. something, dude. <laughs> like, save this man the trouble. Like, you knew this whole time. And, 
Like I've pictured Obi Wan, his Force ghostness, like watching from the from the from the ether, just like, oh god, <laughs> yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm not the one that has to like tell him this. And then later, it's like, fuck, I have to be the one. To tell him this. <laughs> and I think that's another time. Like some of the people, especially when they were mad at the sequels, would be like, no, Lucas was perfectly planning out all. Of- Lucas, no one. They had when they had them kiss. They hadn't decided they were going to be brother and sister yet. That's why Obi Wan doesn't say anything because no one decided it yet. Lucas was making this up completely on the fly in some regards. We love you, George. yeah, literally, we do. Because <laughs> that's the same thing as like Star Wars being inconsistent in all current. Is it's like Ben, come on, bro. You saw from the first. He was like, no, replay that message. She's so beautiful. Like, tell the guy. But then it's like, and nobody knew. Not even George. Not even George. Yep. <laughs> yep. Can I can I tell you uh, real quick? Um, is it, this doesn't fit in this podcast, but I want to tell you something real quick that I forgot to mention last okay. podcast. I found a really funny fact about episode four, but I think y'all think it's hilarious. To the, but some of the R2 units were like early actual remote control robots. And one time one went like haywire and they lost control of it and it went flying off on its own over a sand dune and right over the sand dune nearby. There was a filming of the Ten Commandments, <laughs> um, and so in the middle of them filming a scene of Jesus walking through, or like the, the Jews walking through the desert, like disheveled and everything, uh, a haywire R two D two went flying through the screen, through the sands, and they had to stop filming to wrangle this fucking lone droid. And I thought that was hilarious. I just wanted to share. That's beautiful. I love it. That is the most R two of R twos. Like I just love it. Yeah, I'm picturing the scream as he like. Wow! As he shoots through the scene. Oh, God, that's so funny. Well, yeah, let's just get into what did we love about this film this time? What stuck out? What did you love? Matthew, first. Isn't that what we just discussed? We We did hot takes. We kind of went over it, but I guess if there's anything else, like, you really just love about this film you want to talk about. Or I can go first. Oh, Matthew, go. To me, there's two things I'll name. Uh, One is, is, I've said the romance. I've talked a lot about it. I'll just highlight two other things. First of all, is that, like, they have that beautiful kiss that C-3PO uh, interrupts. And, yep. and But then she doesn't stop. She doesn't, like, immediately change how she acts towards Han. Like, clearly she kisses him back. And, like, you know, like, it, 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 I think it's very clear. Like I, like I said, I think if you made this movie today, the dynamic between them would maybe be a little bit different. But I think it's very clear she consents to the kiss. She enjoys the kiss. But then she gets away as fast as she can. And then she's back to still, like giving Han shit, you know, and, and not being, like, all lovey-dovey with him, which makes her line at the end when she says, I love you, so powerful, and his response so powerful. And But also the thing I noticed is, after the kiss, she starts to be a lot meaner to C-3PO. And <laughs> I don't think it's because, like, C-3PO interrupted it, but I think it's because she's starting to side more with Han in terms of, like, what Han is, like, and so that the last time... Han is constantly telling C-3PO, don't tell me the odds. And then the last time he tries to tell them the odds, it's she who tells him to shut up. Um, mm-hmm. So I loved that. And then, but mostly just, I love the philosophy of this movie. Like, so, and, and I, I will talk later about how it has shifted and grown over time. But so much of, like, how I try to understand what it means to be a good person came from, you know, everything Yoda says about, like, you know, Mm-hmm. You know, the the dark side, like, you know, fear and anger are the pathway to And I, some of the quotes that I have, and like he says in in, C, in prequel movies, and so I'm not trying to give exact quotes, but like, it, it the philosophy starts here. And there's one part of it that I disagree with that I'll get to later, but I do think that there, there's so much here of, you know, that, that believing in yourself and, and the, the way that if you're able to calmly assess a situation 
you're able to sort of, you know, be much more powerful about it. Um, I just, and I, again, there are like some of it later, I'm like, eh, this is kind of the kind of misogynist, like emotions, bad, calm, rationality is good. But I do think that there's a, there's so much beauty in it and so much power in it that I just, I just love how it, it, it subverts the expectation, not only of Luke, but of the audience. Yeah. Powerful. Film. What about you, Aaron? What do you love? For me, um, kind of on what you're saying, how Leia didn't choose or change how she acted. She's still like, just picks on Han, just rips him apart. But at Bestman, Han chooses or cha- Oh my gosh, I can't word. Han changes how he acts towards Leia. Like mm-hmm. they're waiting and he goes over and kisses her on the forehead and like puts his hand like lovingly on her cheek. And I'm like, oh my God, such a simp, such a soft boy. Like our mm-hmm. pretty boy flirt is really just wanting love. And it's very sweet to see the two of them like, fall into the relationship in different ways yeah yeah so basically just more of the romance i love it and then for me just the visual aspects of this film it's just so stunning like it's entertaining from start to finish just a few things that i really noticed like the green maps on the rebel base in hoth like just so beautiful so fun to look at everything about hoth um, the fight scene on Hoth with all, like, each walker takedown is so exciting and so fun to watch. And just, yeah, like, Dagobah is a whole new scene. I just really love Bespin, you know, such a cool idea. It's a city in the clouds. Down is up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think it's just a very creative film. It's very fun digit or it's very fun visually. Oh, my goodness. And I really loved the Wampa aspect of it. And something that I knew but never, like, put together was why the Wampa attack happened. And it's because, as I'm sure you both know, um, Mark Hamill was in a near-death car accident on his way to film parts of this second film. And so then they added that at the start, just he has to get in some sort of accident because now he's got scars all over his face. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It was just fun watching it with that in mind of like, oh, this is not at all how this movie was supposed to go. And we get this really cool creature and such a fun scene. And this is how, you know, Luke hears Ben talking. And it's just out of this mishap that, you know, Lucas created. And just, it's the same idea of, he has no idea what's going to happen next, and he's flexible with it. And that's what's so, I think, exciting about these films in a way. Mm-hmm. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. And I, I'm glad you brought up Bespin as the romance, because I never really understood the role Londo plays quite as much. I think actually that is one thing I got more this watch. I think part of the role Londo plays is to show Leia, and, and kind of to show Han, like, um... Okay, Lando, sorry, Thank you. Lando, whatever. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, what are we doing here? Lando, uh, Calrissian, um, that part of his role is that he's kind of showing Han the life he could have, but he's not going to choose because, as you said, he starts being like, no, I just want to be with Leia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because remember, that's one thing Leia says throughout the movie is that she part of why I think she's holding herself back is because he's just going to leave. He's just going to you know, take the money and run like they thought he was going to do at the end of New Hope. And now he's just going to deal with his own death mark because um, a death mark's a hard thing to live with. 
mm-hmm. and one of the most classically bad lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think that's the idea is that like Lot, L- Lando, like he will just sell everybody out in a way that Han never would. And I think for Lot, I think for Han that helps him like understand the role he wants to take, but also really for Leia that like that's part of what allows her to be like, no, Han's not the guy I'm afraid of. Lando is, but but not Han. And of course, even Lando turns out not to be, but that's another thing. <laughs> right. Alex, any more loves before we get going on our dislikes? Yeah, just just two quick things. One, um, I really love, um, you know, in, in the first movie, we really, really, we get Tatooine, which is the desert planet. You get the sterile inside of the Death Star. And, and you get kind of get a little bit of, of Yavin 4, but like, for the most part, you're like indoors in that area as well. Like you're not really getting much of the planet. And here you really get three distinct new worlds that I think are really cool. I mean, you get you get Cloud City, you get Bespin, you get um, Dagobah, you get Hoth, and I think they really just kind of took it to a new level with with the, yeah, you know, they had more money and more backing this time around, which is why they could travel more. But I think that like they really, did, like Aaron said, took it off with the visually stunning and very different you know scenes. Um, the other thing that I really love that I, I mentioned before is. This is the first time we see Luke fight another person with a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I like about it is that, like, it's, it, again, and this is me basing it more on, on you know, with prequel inf- informing me, but Anakin loved to toy with people during yep. the Clone Wars, and he's toying with Luke so, so hard. hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, like, we all know that Anakin is one of the most skilled, like, you know, lightsaber, you know, swordsmen. And, of course, he's very limited now with his uh, with his heavy suit by design. Um but just toying with Luke and being like, if I do this, what do you do? If I do this, you know, like it, 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 it's very reminiscent of like, you know, like someone like an older brother teasing their younger brother, like, you know, oh, ha 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 ha. And then like, as soon as Luke like just nicks him one time, Vader gets so pissed and just goes super hard on him and like within seconds cuts off his hand. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not actually yeah. a good kid. I was letting you like get a few shots in. Um, it just felt, it just, it was just cool to me because it harkened back to like, you know, Clone Wars mm-hmm. Anakin and just how he liked to to act even in even he was still a Jedi. So that was that was fun for the me. The simple fact that like Luke is using two hands and Vader's using one. Yeah. Like the same weapon and Luke is like, this is like the heaviest thing. And and Anakin Vader is just like, whatever. I'm doing this literally with only one hand. Like beautiful. That's that. something that stuck out to me too. And it just always does, I think, growing up as a Clone Wars and prequel lover, seeing those parts of Anakin and Vader, like, I noticed as soon as they started fighting, I was like, Luke is going way too hard on the offensive. Like, he clearly is unskilled because he's never fought someone with a lightsaber before. And then, like you said, he nicks Vader, and Vader just flips a switch and just goes that, like, berserker rage mode we see from him so many times. Like, like you said, just, like, little dark moments of Anakin throughout the Clone Wars and especially towards the end of the prequels, Revenge of the Sith, where he just is just a monster of a person. Like, I just flee, flee, because he's stomping towards you and he's going to destroy you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I always love seeing that same idea of Vader just toying with someone and then being like, okay, show's over. Shit's getting real. <laughs> yup. I said that comic, book, that comic book line, you know, we have you surrounded. You can't think you can possibly beat 10,000 men or something like that. And Vader goes, oh, I see your 10,000 dead men. <laughs> like some cold line. And yeah. He like just wrecks everybody. And I love Vader. Yep. Yeah, he is a baddie. So, Matthew, anything that you don't like about this film? A film you've loved for so long. What is it? So, 
Like I said, I think some parts of Yoda's philosophy I'm not as down with anymore. Most of it, though, I am, and I, I think there's just so much more to explore there. But there's one part I think trying is really, really important. And I like he says, do or do not, there is no try. And then he quickly shifts into something that is similar but not the same, where the whole, like, and, and you were talking about this, Alex, before, that he's saying, like, the fact that Luke thinks it's impossible, that he doesn't believe, is why he fails. And that, I think, is very true. That I think, like, if you go into something thinking you're going to fail, then, yeah, you, you likely are. That you have to be able to make yourself believe there's a possibility here. And, and often that means getting other people around you to help support you and help, you know, talk you through your own mental, you know, demons and stuff. I certainly have a ton of them. But the, like... I think there is something so very toxic in do or do not, there is no try. Like, I think that there is something very, very healthy in saying, look, this is a million and one shot. I may not succeed, but it's still the very act of trying is good for me and, like, will be worthwhile. And that's okay. And that I'm going to judge myself on, like, did I do my best, not on what was the result. Um, so I think that was the one thing. And then... And this isn't really like a complaint about it, but it's just something I'm noticing. And I think this kind of goes into what you were saying, Alex, about the, you know, how did Han not notice Boba Fett's ship, but also how did the Empire not notice, like, the, the Millennium Falcon holding on right there? Also, if Boba was holding one, on with them, why didn't he tell Vader? Well, yeah, but I, I think the point here being, because I think he wants he to get the money, but I think the, <laughs> the overall point being, I, I think this is a problem with any kind of science fiction, is that when we in 2023 were watching what people in the 1970s and 80s thought the future would be like. And we often forget, like, most of the technology we have today is better than most people could have imagined 40 years ago. Like, watch some Star Trek stuff from, like, the 60s and 70s. They thought that computers would be monochrome in the 24th century or 23rd century or 22nd. Don't, this is a Star Wars podcast. Don't, don't write in your angry emails. <laughs> but like, I, I think that's what, it, in the same way, like I love Rogue One, but anyone who understands how data technology works now, the idea of like the data being sent only to this one ship, like that doesn't make any sense. Come on. Um, you know, so it's just, it, it's not a bad thing. It's just something I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta roll my eyes a little bit. Remember like, this is what people in 1981 were imagining the future would be. So I just want to respond to what Matthew said before I give my thing. And I think it's interesting because I read it so differently, Matthew, in that I feel like do or do not, there is no try is more like you do it or you fail. Like, like don't like kind of half ass it. And what I think, like, I get what you're saying. Like, you know, there is absolutely value in trying, but I think there's more value in failing because there's so many times that I have like failed just miserably at something and I learned so much from it. And I mm -hmm. feel like that's kind of what Yoda, I guess I'm hoping is getting at is like, just go out there and do it, and if you and and, and then if you, if you don't do it and you fail, you fail. Like like I don't know. Like I see. I, I think I, I see how you're reading it is like just do it or don't. Don't even like don't like try and tr don't don't just try. But to me, it's like go out there and do the thing, and either you're gonna succeed or you're gonna fail. But like if you like half dip your toe in or you half kind of put your heart into it, then you're just destined to always fail. So like if you kind of go into fighting Vader or go into trying to save your friends or whatever you're doing. And you know, put all of your just everything into it. You are doomed from the start to fail. Versus like, just go out there and just do it, or don't do it and fail. But don't like be somewhere in the middle. That that's just kind of how I always interpreted it. At least, I, I, no, I I think I interpret it the same way. I just think half-assing okay. things is good. 
Like, I think you should sometimes be willing to say, I don't have it in me to do the best I could. I'm going to half-ass this, and that's, you know, I can cook a three-course dinner, or I can just, like, half-ass this and warm up some mac and cheese, and that's okay. Like. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At first, I was like, I'm on Matthew's side, and then I was like, I'm on Alex's side, and now I'm like, um, I see both point of views, but I really do what you're saying, Matthew, just now about how trying can work even if it's half-assed like it resonates with me as a person who is incredibly stressed and has way too much going on to be like Mm -hmm. it's okay sometimes to say you know what i'm not gonna study for that test because i have an a so even if i bomb it i will pass the class because something really horrible has happened in my life and i don't have the energy to do it 100 percent so yeah, it's like, I think both sides apply. And that's why what he says is so interesting and why it's so talked about, I think, is because there is this discourse of like, what exactly does he mean? And is it trying is bad? Is it that trying is good, but you should never view it as trying? You should view it as like doing 100%. It's just, there's so much to talk about with it. Yeah. And, and I do think like probably my view of it's colored by the fact that at least two generations of gym teachers then used this as the like, you know, you just do it. There's no such thing. You, you know, the kind of like, you and, and this I think became a big thing in like business and like employee, like of just like, you, you can't accept failure. Failure is not an option. And that's what I'm just like, I get off the train. Yeah, it's been used uh, in a really toxic way without discussion about the nuances almost. Yeah. Yeah. Alex, what about you? Would you not like, or it didn't work yeah, for you? So. Um, I, I just wrote down a, a, a couple things here. Um, one is, I get to a degree why Ben didn't want to get involved. Like he keeps saying, like I well, once you fight, you know Vader, or I I can't get involved. But at the same time, I feel like the way he kind of intervened in, in Luke's head and gave him a little boost of inspiration when he was attacking the Death Star. I feel like Obi Wan could have he could have showed up as a ghost and spooked Anakin. He could have like and like I get it, he wants Luke to do it on his own. He wants Luke to learn. I get all that. But even just like a little bit of like you know inspiration, especially when Luke didn't finish his training, just kind of leaving him high and dry. If he was a little. <laughs> A little cold to me. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the other things are, are a bit smaller. Well, I just cannot... I'm sorry. I just can't get over the fact that C3 fucking PO, but Anakin built as a child and, like, has had his entire life, is just sitting there. So is R2-D2. They're just there. And Anakin's just, like, do-do-do-do-do, murdering Han, doing whatever I need to do, like... Just ignoring the fact that his two beloved droids, R2 is like, again, in the corner, he's the one to die for this droid. Nope. I don't know. It, it's just, it's something I could never get past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still couldn't get past it this time. Because <laughs> it just bothers me so much that you, like, you're not going to, and I understand that, like, we don't know that he built the droid. We don't, if it's just a product of the order they were made in. But it's just, ugh. Yeah. When I look at it as a holistic story, it just really annoys me. So you're saying, and, and I guess to me, that- um, I, I guess to me that, and this is just what will always be different, but, like, to me, that's always the failure of the prequels. Like, you, 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 if they set up something that makes this movie not work, like, blaming this movie for it just doesn't make sense to me. But but I do, I hear what you're saying about the whole, I think now that the whole thing is one holistic story, you're right, those moments in this movie feel weird. Yeah. For me, I'm going to be honest, yeah. there's nothing that happened when I watched this film last night that made me be like, eh. Like, I really just enjoyed it. There wasn't much that didn't work too well that you guys haven't already kind of talked about and covered. I mean, that probably makes you the healthiest of the three of us, but like, you know. Hey, just wait till we get to the Clone Wars. That's fair. fair. (laughs) 
That's going to be something else. Um, I had one more very tiny little thing. I'm curious if either you know the answer to this. Where's the money? Hod has all the money. He, like, loads it up into his, into the Falcon. Like, he has the money. They have paid him. That's true. And yet, he doesn't use it to pay Jabba off. He doesn't use it to pay Lando. He doesn't use it to seemingly do anything. Did did all of that money just disappear? No, he's not. Where did it go? He's not willing to leave Leia. That's the point. He keeps saying, saying, I will go pay it. I will go pay it. But he doesn't want, he doesn't actually want to, because that would mean leaving Leia. No, you're correct, Matthew. I'm not arguing that. I'm saying even with Leia, he still has that money, right? Yeah, but if he gives it it? to, oh, yeah. The where is it stands. Even if he doesn't give it to Jabba. He doesn't give it to Lando when they get stuck in Bespin. They don't, he doesn't give it to anyone. He just, it seems like he's just perpetually like broke and like doesn't, I mean, maybe he gives it back to the rebellion. I, I don't know. It just feels like there's this, this 20,000 credits that's just lurking on the Millennium Falcon somewhere that we never get to see. And that thing, that thing needs some, some work done on yeah. it. And instead he has Chewbacca taking shit apart in a fucking hangar on Hoth instead of get, getting someone to help them. I don't know. It's just, Again, I love this movie so much. Everything I don't like about it is very nitpicky, but like that's just I'm like that I mean, is the a, economics. Like the life. economics of this universe, especially down to the fact that we learn in Andor that like no, there's no such thing as paper money. Money is just coins everywhere. It makes no sense whatsoever. Like I'll be the first to say that. So true. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. Favorite character. Oh, Go ahead. No, yeah. Favorite characters. Alex. Uh, Okay, favorite character is probably Yoda, just because I I've always loved Yoda. I love the like the whole wise master trope that Matthew had talked about earlier. Um, I just I think that especially after he comes down from his like you know it, it sure the ketamine frog thing like I still find it funny and humorous. It bothers me a little bit, but I find it funny. Um, but like just him training Luke and all of that is just like this. You have all this craziness going on in the galaxy. You, you know, you, they keep cutting through these high, high action scenes in space with with the Millennium Falcon running away from the Imperial fleet and Vader constantly on the move and and, and it's so much bureaucracy. And then you get down to this just overgrown planet with this little green monk. Basically, <laughs> he's so calm and like lives in this little hut. And I just I get so attached to him. And like the more I the more I I learn about him over the years and the more I it makes me love him more. But even from the very first time I saw him, I was like, whoa. Like, this is, that's also, like, our first, you know, I don't know, our first, like, Jedi for, I mean, we don't know Vader as a human, I guess, technically, but, like, our first non-human that we really see is a, is a Force user at that point, and, like, to think that the, the, the Grand Master, the one that trained Obi-Wan, um, is this little tiny guy, it just, it just, it just kind of gave more of that idea of, like, Yoda, you know, you can be anything. Like, if you're, you judge me by my size to you, like, you know, you, you can, doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you look like, who you are, if you, or, you know, you're trained, you're disciplined, you can do anything. Um, and then I just want to give a slight shout out to the first showing of the Emperor because the Emperor, mm-hmm. love of my life, so badass. Um, just, just, ugh. even though we only got him for a brief moment in a hologram, I just, I'm so happy we got to be introduced to the, to the evil big bad working in the shadows. Yep. Though I, I will say I, I I don't think we can go too too deep into this because this is kind of like a behind the scenes thing and, and this episode's already going long. But I'll put in the show notes a link to an article that explains that not only did they reshoot that uh, scene because they they wanted now Ian McDermott, the actor who plays Palpatine in Return of the Jedi and then in later things, 
to be the emperor because it had been someone else entirely. They actually, Alex, you pointed out it was a woman originally in the in the original version, but also they changed the dialogue somewhat to make it more clear that Vader is kind of trying to be evasive about like him knowing who Skywalker is, and that the Emperor is like not only like saying like we need to go get Skywalker, but he's kind of testing Vader. Like he kind of suspects that Vader's loyalties are are mixed here. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a pretty significant change. And I think the first time I saw it, I didn't like it. I think this time I like it a lot more, but it, it'll be in the show notes. I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Do you think, real quick, Matthew, do you think that he knows that Vader's feelings are mixed at this moment or that he just has fears based on how Anakin acted in the past that he would possibly, the only possibility of Vader betraying him would be for his own child because of his connection with Padme? So, wait, Who? If I'm if I'm gonna get teased for Londo, then we're gonna be teasing that like Anakin's wife's name is two syllables. Padme. It's Padme. Not you said Padme. 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 <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um I I'm torn on it. And like I recently I recently listened to the Dr. Afra audiobook, which is phenomenal. I hadn't been able to read the Dr. Afra comics, but I think this is kind of similar and she's a great character. I love so much about it. Um, but slight spoiler here, it, it takes place between the end of A New Hope and the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, and in it, Vader is trying to use her to f- locate information about Luke without uh, including his name without, be, be without letting the Emperor know. And I, I, I don't love how it's set up, I don't think it quite fits, but I do think it does a good job of kind of introducing the idea that, like, Vader certainly didn't want the Emperor to know. Mm-hmm. And and he wanted to at least have more information about it sooner. And so I don't... I, I think the point is supposed to be that the Emperor is kind of testing Vader to see if Vader actually has these mixed feelings or not. And I think yeah. he clearly does. I think it's kind of part of why so many Imperial officers died. Or, like, and that's kind of what he's talking about, yeah. the subtlety of... Uh, and again, that was something that I totally missed as a kid. It was just like, no, like... The, the Vader-Anakin fight is really happening during this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I, I'm not quite sure what the Emperor knows, and I think we're not supposed to be, like, I wouldn't want something to later tell me exactly what they knew. I think the point is the mystery of it. That's fair. Yeah. Aaron? Um, oh, I had something to say about what you were just saying. Vader-Anakin, Emperor. Nope. Um... Favorite characters, favorite moments? Well, <laughs> I'm a little biased. Uh, this time through, my favorite was, in fact, uh, Lando Calrissian. Um, but I did also just last weekend see a burlesque performance of Lando Calrissian to song <laughs> Redbone by Childish Gambino. And so, yeah, it was just really Lando on the mind, mm-hmm. I guess, lately. <laughs> but I just loved, you know, Billy D. Baker. Is that his name? Billy D. Williams? Billy D. Williams. Okay, Billy D. Williams. I mixed it with Bradley, with D. Bradley Baker. Rex on the mind there, buddy. Uh, clearly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, he's a phenomenal character. He, he, and like Billy D. Williams is just like, I love Harrison Ford, but Billy D. Williams is just like charisma of 20. Like he's just that charming. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Any final thoughts? Little things you noted throughout? Uh, well, I, they just, for me, my favorite character moments. Um, oh, sorry, I thought. We, I, I, my bad. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know you're fine. You're, I, I absolutely know it too. Um, uh, the big, the, the the two I had. The first one I've already talked about about how Lando kind of sh- shows Han the route that he could take and shows Leia how different. 
uh, Han is, but also just like puppets are cool. Like, and, and part of this may be because I grew up on the Muppets, and so I just love Jim Henson puppetry, but, like, even now, nothing about Yoda looks to me like a fake. Like, it looks to me like that is an actor, like, who just looks like that. And clearly I know that's not the case, but, like, even just the 80s, the puppetry technology of, like, making the ears move and the face, and, like, as a kid, I watched Jaws as a kid. I watched, like, some horribly <laughs> scary movies and the thing that gave me nightmares was Yoda saying, like, you know, Luke's like, I'm not afraid. Yeah. You will be. You Like, that was terrifying That was to so me. scary. I've never noticed and, that before, but it was very scary. And again, I don't want to go, I don't want all every episode to all just be like, well, I saw it this way and you saw it that way. And, and I, but for me, CGI Yoda never worked. Like, this, this puppet Yoda is always going to be my Yoda. And this looks so much more real than I thought every CGI just did. And I just, like... We'll get so much more puppetry later, um, but I was just watching again. I was just really blown away. Like that, unless I know that it's a puppet, but nothing in my brain is telling me that that's anything but a real living creature. Yeah, Matt, we'll get into it more when we get into the prequels. But I'm curious if you can think back to when you first saw this movie or when you were growing up before the prequels came out. How did you imagine Yoda moved as a younger man? in the heyday of the Jedi. Did you imagine him fighting with the kind of crazy force jumping style he does in like episode two or? Oh, I mean, we'll talk about that because I think that is incredibly ableist what they did. That's one of the things that makes me so angry about that movie because, you know, he's like, to me, part of the the beauty of his character is not only that he's small, but he's disabled. Like he's an old man. He walks with a cane. Um, and I, I don't think I ever thought of him as a younger person. He, I, I think part of the idea you're supposed to think like, you know, in that kind of like back to the future, you know, oh, you go back in time and that, that same guy's the headmaster of your school and he still looks super old. You know, I, right. I, I always thought there was a Yoda that existed as a much younger person, but I just never, I, I can't say I ever gave it any thought. You ever gave any thought? That's fair. Yeah. Um, I have, sorry, Aaron, I have one final thought on yeah, Yoda. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say final Y'all thoughts. ever think about... I want to hear my man play the flutes. He's got the, those little flutes hanging around his neck. <gasps> yeah. I, I don't. It's a pan. I know what the proper term is in the Star Wars universe, but they look kind of like pan flutes that like a satyr would mm-hmm. wear, um, in Greek mythology. And I just I want I, I I can't in my brain imagine Yoda jamming out on the flutes <laughs> on some log in Dagobah. I I need that to be like a just give me like a a, a one to two minute even if it's animated something on disney plus where i can just see yoda hanging out on dagobah practicing his little pan flute in his spare time like that to me would be really funny that would be so I, precious I would love that that sounds amazing final thoughts matthew it's a phenomenal movie you know i <clears throat> the last thing i wrote down was one-handed versus two-handed which i brought up i think we've we've said so many interesting things um uh i oh i guess i just my final thought again not not disagreeing just different perspective I never saw it as Ben deciding that he wasn't going to help. I thought it was just that whatever mystical power allowed him to appear to Luke in these very specific ways, like, wouldn't work with Vader around or, like, wouldn't work outside of these specific places. Um, but, yeah, I think that w- the way you say it is is different. But the way, to me, what I hear is when he says, like, I can't intervene is more just, like, it, it's just not physical possibly for me. Um, beyond that, the last thoughts, I... I do think it's just a phenomenal movie. And like, I think intentionally watching it with these eyes makes me realize it's, it's even better. Like I do like it a lot more even than I thought. Like, and I, 
I still am going to place it number five just because the other four I like just a little bit more for various reasons that are probably more nostalgia than anything else. Well, not with Rogue One and uh, Last Jedi, but like it is still just a phenomenal movie. And I don't I don't think there's any way I would like I, th- I don't think it makes A New Hope better, but I do think that Return of the Jedi only works because it fits so seamlessly into everything this one sets up. Mm. And and in some ways, maybe part of why I dislike Rise of Skywalker so much is because it's is so disjointed from number two from uh, Last Jedi. Whereas I do think that like everything I love about Return of the Jedi works because it was set up in this. Yeah, I I, I want to give an actual more serious final thought too, and not just you go to playing a pan fleet. Please do. Um, but I I would just want to I want to echo what Matthew said in, in in that I think it it does set up Return of the Jedi very effectively. I also think that. This movie, to me at least, embodies a lot of what Star Wars is all about. And that's like, Star Wars to me is about an uphill battle. You're fighting a greater evil. Like Mas Kanata said in episode seven, it's taken many forms. The Sith, the Empire, the First Order, it's all this overwhelming oppressive force. And to me, like, it's this moment that the Empire's gained ground. They're winning. You know, Han has been frozen in carbonite. Luke had his arm cut off. Like, they've taken over Bespin. The the rebels are on the run. Their base has been blown up. Like, rebels are scattered to the wind. It feels like we're on the brink here. But it's still, the movie doesn't end, you know, with anything, like, extra dark. It it ends with Luke and Leia. Like, Luke has his arm back. He puts his arm around her. And, like, you get this sense of, like, you know, things are going to be okay. It's just a tiny sliver of hope. And I actually think the the genius of like, you know, they pan out. And so it's like, it, it pans out, you know, they're staring out the window and they pan out for the final final shot of the film and they get farther back. And you can still, no matter how much space you see around them, you can still see this little speck of bright white where they're standing. Like, and it's to me, it's like, yeah. no matter how dark and oppressive and the odds can be completely stacked against you, there's always at least a sliver of hope, an ember that is just waiting to be like to be ignited, and it, it just really resonates with me that that's how you know Lucas shows to end this film of like yes, the Empire is powerful, yes they're gaining ground, but but our heroes are not going to give up, and and you shouldn't give up either. And so I've always really thought that that was such a great tone to end that movie on, especially because it is a darker film overall, um, and it really does set up set up Jedi because it also sets up Jedi to like you know mm-hmm. do we we don't know if Luke is going to like go berserko dark side mode and we, we don't know what's going to happen and i'm sure i i can only imagine and i'm sure matthew can talk to this and i actually would like to hear you speak to this matthew about from what you remember but after this movie came out what some of the speculations were like what did we think was going to happen with luke what did we do we think vader was lying to him like what did you all what did you imagine what did your friends imagine what were the conversations like back in 1980 about like what is this next movie going to be I mean, I guess you were three. Were you three in 1980? <laughs> yeah. So I, I was born in 1977. Like I said, I have no memory of not having seen these movies. I do remember seeing Return of the Jedi in theater. Okay. Uh, but I, w- I was five or six. Like, I can't tell fair, you I okay, remember. Fair these- enough. Fair enough. But I do think, like, yeah, I was very curious about that. I wanted to know what was going to happen. Like, in some, I think in part that's part of why I don't like the Java scene because I was like, who cares? Get me to Luke. Like, get me to, like, Luke and Vader. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I will just also say, though, I love that you pointed out the hope at the beginning of the movie, because I think it is so important, especially because it goes so well with the first part of the movie, which is, I think, in many ways, one of the most enduring lessons of the movie, which is, yeah, you you won one major battle 
against one major part of the Empire, you're still completely outnumbered and completely outgunned and completely on the run. And like that start, I think, is such a letdown from the end of uh, New Hope, but it feels so real. And I just love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Final thoughts for me. I don't as Alex hit y'all with the serious, I'm going to hit y'all with the unserious. So a few things I noticed and appreciated what you guys were saying, how Vader's so emotionally unstable. Like my guy is appointing a new admiral every other scene, like Mm -hmm. force choking somebody (laughs) over FaceTime is crazy. Like imagine getting (laughs) fired over FaceTime, but you're fired because you're dead. And then he just looks at the next guy and calls him admiral. And the other guy's like, shit. Okay. I guess I'm the admiral now. I just, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's so good. And also, like, to me, it's like, oh, yeah, that's funny. That's cool. But we do, it's cruelty. You know, Vader is cruel. And that's, we're reminded of that when Han comes back to kind of their prison cell on Bespin after being tortured. And he says, he didn't even ask me any questions. Yeah. Like, that's, I kind of forget sometimes because my love of Anakin and Vader is such like a baller that it's like, haha, And then it's like. Oh shit! Like he's just fucking around because he's mad. He's like, "Where's Luke?" Yeah, I'm not even gonna ask you where's Luke. I'm just gonna torture you because I hate you. Like I think that's one of the things that's most important and such a good point. And that even like I said, there's an Anakin Vader struggle kind of happening, but it's not. It has nothing to do with leaving the dark side. It is the very, very dark side thing of eventually you should overthrow your master and take power yourself. Like mm-hmm. and. Here's one thing I think the the prequels got perfectly is that, you know, Anakin doesn't say like Vader, but that's kind of the point. Vader doesn't say to Luke, the Empire is wrong. We need to bring back the Republic. He says, like, we can overthrow the Empire and rule the galaxy as father and son. We can bring peace and order, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what Anakin says, you know, where Anakin is so frustrated by the Republic and that they can't seem to win this clone war and that he just could It just had the smart people in charge, you know. Vader is just as fascist at the end of this. It's just that he wants him and Luke to be in control instead of him and the Emperor. Well, he also, like, I mean, if you remember in episode three, he even makes the same offer to to Padme of, like, you know, we can overthrow the Emperor. Like, I'm more powerful than him. We can rule the galaxy together, make things the way we want them to be. Like, he... And, and I think that does stem from, like, the fact that as a child he was a slave and, like, he had no power and now he wants all of the power. Valid. And he was – I don't know. I, I, I'll, we'll get into that more in the prequels because I have some strong thoughts on Anakin as a, as a slave child. Um, but I, I do <laughs> – that was really funny, Aaron. What? <laughs> Just all, all, all of your unserious thoughts there were – No, were, literally. Were in fantastic. my notes I wrote uh, – because, you know, Captain Nita's like, well, I'm going to go update Vader and apologize. I wrote down, yeah. Captain Nita's so dead. Two lines later, LOL, Dude. Nita dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Dude, and I also like, what I like to think about is like him and his little bubble. Because Vader has that like little like. Vader's claw bubble. Into. Yeah. yeah, so he can like take his helmet off and like breathe like a normal person for 10 minutes at a time. Um, and I just, I just picture him like. What does he do in that bubble? Like, he can't see the screen in the bubble. He has to, like, is he just hitting there meditating, you think? Like, is he, does Sith meditate? Can they sit still that long? Like, yeah. Lord I think it's supposed to be done. meditation, but I think it's also supposed to be just, like, we're not supposed to know. Yeah. Though I will no, just right. say, and an- I do, like, another just one sorry, beautiful line that I really think then we should wrap up, but um, that says so much about Vader is when Vader's, like, 
We're not going to let asteroids stop us. We must do this. We must do this. The Emperor wants to contact you. Leave the asteroid field at once. Like, it, that is yeah. such a clear sign of, like, where... where all right, so, lay. yeah, clearly we all have more to say on this film and all of these films, which you'll hear more of in the future. But that's all for today. That's kind of our thoughts on The Empire Strikes Back. Thank you for joining us. Please hit us with feedback if you guys have thoughts, opinions. If you were yelling at your radio or phone while one of us was spewing some bullshit, let us know. But do it respectfully, you know? We're always happy to hear people's thoughts and feelings. You can... DM. We now have a Instagram, Star Wars Generations Podcast, or it's SW Podcast. Oh gosh, I'm so bad at that. SW Podcast. We're the same thing on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So message us, give us a follow. We'll keep you updated on what's going on. Um, other than that, we do have our members section afterwards. So if you're a member, go ahead, stick around. We'll be talking about a certain point of view. Um, other than that, Alex, where can we find you? Yeah, guys. Uh, so if you listened before, I'm a photographer. Um, I work. That's my day job. So if you guys want to check out some of my work, you can find me on Instagram at Alex Corman. Oh, Jesus. You can find me on Instagram at Alex Corman 12. That's K-O-R-M-A-N-N, then the number 12, or AlexCormanPhoto.com. If you follow me along, eventually you'll see more photos of Erin in her lovely Ahsoka cosplay or one of her many new cosplays. Yeah. Hoping to get some of those first exclusive shin looks yeah. that comes together. Absolutely. Matthew, what are your shout outs? Where can we find you? Yeah, so I am the Ethical Panda. Um, it used to be that was these podcasts, but now that I've got to like give some room to the other hosts, you know, we, we'll still have Ethical Panda as a way to contact me but and contact us about the shows, uh, but also the uh, Star Wars Generations. I think it's SW Generations on Twitter, but like all, all that's going to be in the show notes. You can email us. We've gotten our first email. We have some listener email that we'll talk about during Return of the Jedi, which I'm really excited for. As Aaron said, please keep sending them in. Please think about becoming a member. Please think about, um, yeah, it's just five bucks a month. Great way to support us. Great way to support uh, what we're doing. You get free content. You get out of free content uh, and all sorts of great things like that. So Thank you, Aaron, so much for taking the, the, the reins today. Alex, thank you as always so much for being a co-host. Thank you to all of you for listening. We Wait, have I need to spoken. shout myself out. Oh, yep, 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 yep. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, y'all, I'm at Lady Tano Creates, Instagram and TikTok. I'm a cosplayer. Shin is upcoming. Mystique is upcoming. Ahsoka and original character are always in progress. And that's our show, Matthew. We've spoken. Stay classy, Hoth. Away, put your weapons. We mean you harm. I, I love the just the, the voice acting <laughs> unhinged line that you throw in every week. This should be It is bit. my bit I'm now. I'm writing down a quote every week. That's my bit.